speak to us. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Some of you probably aren't even moving your bookmark anymore or Bible mark. Uh, You're just staying there for Sunday nights. But uh, what a story God has for us. What a story of the gospel, the good news in and of itself, that Jesus died for us, rose again, that if we come and place our faith and trust in him, we have salvation, we have eternal life, we have forgiveness. That story. And then the story of how the gospel went forth, how God took that message and that truth and he brought it all the way around the globe, how he continues to take it around the globe. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, remember, as we have looked in the last week or so, we see, uh, the, we see Paul and Barnabas begin their missionary journey. God spoke to the church at Antioch. And he said to them, I want you to set these two men apart, and I want you to send them. And they go. Now, you can imagine. You were just so was talking about the, her mission trip there to Nicaragua. And some of us have been on different trips and, and been in different contexts and different cultures. And you can only begin to imagine the emotion and the expectation that Paul and Barnabas had as they set out. They would go to Cyprus. I just want to remind you of this. They go to Cyprus. And remember, things go relatively well relatively well in their first stop. I mean, they had traveled some 100 plus miles. They get there and it goes okay for them. Okay. They're just kind of a okay beginning. But then after that, things get a little tougher, a little more difficult. Actually, you remember that John Mark had gone with them and John Mark, for whatever reason, had left. Think about how that might have put a damper, a dampening effect upon the mission trip. I mean, here you are, you go, and all of a sudden somebody just says, I can't do this anymore. We can only imagine the difficulty of that. And then to add uh, to that difficulty, there in Antioch, Pisidia, where they are, where they go down and they preach and they teach, before you know it, the Jewish faithful have turned against Paul and Barnabas, and leading Paul to, to leave the city and basically dust their feet. The difficulty comes. And in chapter 14, verse 1, difficulty continues. Actually, in, verse, in chapter 14, you see persecution, you see popularity. You see, on one hand, where the crowds embrace these two individuals, while on the other hand, they are persecuting them. You see the height, and you see also the depth of their experience. Notice, uh, beginning in verse 1 of Acts 14, it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. 
and they were preaching the gospel there. Here they are on their mission trip. As I said, they started off with a measure of some success, only to be abandoned by one of their fellow missionaries, to be expelled, if you will, from Antioch, Pisidia. And now they have come to this area here, the scripture says, of Iconium. And here they are preaching and seeing some measure of success. But guess what they see again? They see opposition and hostility. They are pushed again from the city. Now you see Paul's missionary strategy that we talked about last week. He was basically going to some of the um, uh, cities, uh, the populated areas, the populated centers of the time. He was going to those areas to make sure that he could preach. And then what would he do? What was the first step he usually did when he went to a city? You listen better on Sunday night than you do Sunday morning. He went to a synagogue because he knew there was a connecting point there. And he knew that they had background. They had heard of the Messiah. Well, look, all he was doing was proclaiming the fulfillment of Judaism. He was coming in to say the Messiah has come. So it makes sense for him to connect with those in the synagogue as they're worshiping. So he does that. And there are people who believe. There are people who do not believe. And there are people who react in a hostile way. Now, I'm a simple guy, okay? And when I'm preaching and I'm studying different passages, I can't help but just kind of connect some of those passages. This morning, we studied about a man named... See, I told you you were listening better on Sunday night than Sunday morning. Abram. Abram we studied about, and we talked about how here he was. He had followed the call of God. He had answered in faith. And he had gone out, he had gotten to the land of Canaan, the land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, and what does he experience? Famine. Famine. Now, just hang with me a moment. I want you to take that story and think of it, and now I want you to think of Paul and Barnabas, and here they go out, and they're going out on a mission trip. They are pumped up. The church has prayed over them. The church has set them aside. The Holy Spirit himself has spoken. They are ready to see what God is going to do. They go out, as I said, with some measure of success, but then somebody leaves them. And then they come into these different areas, whether it's Antioch, Pisidia, and then Iconium, and they face hostility. I mean, come on, God... God, if you're going to send me out on a mission, you're going to send me to the land of Canaan, Lord, why do I have to experience famine? Why do I have to experience hostility? You see the connection in some sense? And I just want to point out to you again, God did not always say that our way would be easy. God did not say that if you respond in obedience, then all of your life will be so easy to go through. God never said that. That is a message that you hear sometimes. That is a message that you hear, well, you hear them say it is from God. But as you continue to look at the scripture and you hear what God has to say about it, you recognize that there are many moments in a believer's life when they're faithful, when they're obedient, that difficulty just simply comes. You may say it, 
it's part of the consequence of living in a fallen world. I mean, that in and of itself brings difficulty. I mean, fallenness is all around us, okay? Sin is all around us. So when you go and you try to penetrate the darkness by sharing the light of Christ, don't be surprised when the darkness tries to consume you. People, many of us don't even like to, to think that we have fallen short of the glory of God or sinned. Many of us don't even like to acknowledge that kind of attitude. So when you come in and start saying that there's a need here because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory, and when you begin to confront those kinds of things, then you are going to experience, you're going to experience some confrontation. Somebody was sharing with me this morning uh, that they are part of a Bible study um, and that they go and they eat uh, each week with a group of guys and they just kind of talk about the scripture and they study it together. And they shared with me that this week they were there and they were studying a little bit and they were talking out loud and uh, this lady came over to their table and said, Guys, I want you to know that many of us in this place, we don't appreciate you talking about religion. Now, they thought they were being relatively quiet. They weren't being too loud or trying to disturb anybody. They were just studying their scripture and talking about it. But she said, we don't appreciate your talking about religion. So you know what they did? They bought her breakfast. Thought that was awesome. Although she wasn't quite thrilled with it. And she left them a little note about how she once believed. But she just simply had discarded those things from her life. Now she lived, as she called herself, as an atheist. Let me say to you, friends that we should not be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. We as a church, we as a people, we often do, though. We're, oh, we're shocked. We see things on television like, how in the world could they do those things? How in the world could they say those things? My friends, if we truly believe that there is no hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we truly believe that there's no eternal life if we truly believe that there's no difference except Christ Jesus come into a person's life, then why would we expect any differently? Here, Paul and Barnabas are taking on the forces of hell itself. Now, they are not fighting against flesh and blood. They are fighting against these principalities they are fighting against these spiritual evil forces that would do that would love nothing better than, than to stop the advancement of the gospel but they keep on preaching now look look friends i will tell you that in some of those difficult moments my faith probably would have faltered i'll be honest with you I probably would have had moments where I had thought about going back to Antioch in Syria. Why? 
because that was a pretty good job down there. They were teaching. The church was growing. Everything was exciting. It was wonderful. I didn't have to worry about people becoming so hostile toward me and the gospel. I didn't have to start over every time. I probably would. I, I'm, I'm going to say I might have been in the John Mark camp. Hey, could we, we catch a train back, um, a flight back? But they kept preaching. So notice what happens. Well, they go to Lystra, Derby, cities of Lyconia. They're preaching the gospel, the good news. Verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This reminds me as I'm reading through of Acts 3. I, I feel like all of a sudden Dr. Luke is taking me back to Acts 3 where Peter... And John, remember, they come upon the lame man. And there's a lot of parallel in the book of Acts. There a lot, there's a lot of parallel that Dr. Luke gives us between Peter and Paul. And here, it's like a replay. But instead of Peter being involved, it is Paul. Verse 9, it says, This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. So the power of God was demonstrated, just as the power of God had shown itself time and time again in the previous chapters. Verse 11. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Paul and Barnabas had hit it big. They had gone through the moments of difficulty, but now they were able to launch their evangelistic crusade and their association, right? I mean, now they've got checks pouring in from everywhere. They've got support. It says that after this healing, it just changes things. It transforms things. They come, the people look and they come around and they said, we have certainly entertained gods here. Barnabas being Zeus, Paul being Hermes. Hermes, the, the messenger god, the chief uh, of oration, if you want to call it that. He was the god that was associated with speech. So they associated Paul with Hermes and Barnabas with the great god Zeus. And there actually had been a story before in mythology about how these two, Zeus and Hermes, had actually visited before visited the earth before and how they had not found much hospitality and here perhaps the Lystrans had heard of that story and they thought we were back in business the gods have come down again and this time we want to be hospitable to them not just hospitable but we're going to give them the best that we have in our sacrifices and in our welcome Let's welcome the gods. What a different experience that they had had. Now they were popular. 
But you know there is a temptation. There is a risk, even in popularity. Popularity itself can lead to greater difficulty in our lives. Oh, who doesn't want to be popular? I know some of you will raise your hand and say, I don't care if people like me or not. Well, that's probably because most people don't like you. That's the reason you say that. Most of us, we like to be liked. I mean, it's great. We ministers and preachers in particular, I think we have sometimes an ego issue. Leslie, hold your comments. But who wouldn't want people to appreciate what you've done and say thank you for what you've done? But look, this has gone above and beyond. Here in this case, they, they find the temptation of popularity in ministry. They find it among the crowds, but it has gone wild. It's gone crazy. The crowds now, they're wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, they had been on a rugged trip. They had seen the difficulty. And yes, there was temptation just to say, hey, let's just enjoy it. Paul, I could almost say, Barnabas, could we enjoy it just for a moment? Just the popularity? But the scripture says they do not do that. It says in verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude crying out, tearing the clothes. Obviously, as you've studied the scripture, you know that it is a sign of mourning, of grief. It can be a sign of anguish, especially as individuals thought blasphemy had occurred. Look at the the trials of Jesus when they saw perceived blasphemy. We know better, but they perceived that it was blasphemy, the words of Jesus and how they had torn their clothes. Here, Paul and Barnabas, they, they will tear their clothes symbolizing their grief, their objection to what is happening. Verse 15, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and shall and all things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. It was almost like they preached this sermon that was entitled, We are human, he is God. You remember that, hopefully. Thank you. You've helped my ego now. I mean, that's the title of the message. They run in, they say, do not do this. We are not divine. We have no ounce of deity within us. We are humans. But let us tell you about the creator God. The creator God that has revealed himself in so many different ways to the nations. Let us tell you about the creator himself. And of course, certainly as they had shared the gospel of Christ, they had demonstrated how Christ Jesus 
how Christ Jesus had not only created, but how he had redeemed. And this is the message that they had shared. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. The crowd had grown so excited. They had been impressed in such a way that Paul and Barnabas' words could not really restrain them and their efforts to worship. Well, what a different picture in just a moment because they moved from popularity back to persecution. Verse 19 says, Then Jews from Antioch, I believe Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Look at the stark contrast. In the previous verses, they're worshipped as gods. And in just, in just one verse, in just a little time, Paul is stoned. Chuck Swindoll says that that's kind of like what ministry is about and life's about. One minute you're taking a bow, the next moment you're dodging tomatoes, or worse, stones. And here in this case, you see how the crowd is turned from praise to persecution. From praise to persecution. Now, I'm personally convinced that some of these are Baptist. You know, because you can change in such a different way, right? But the praise and the worship, all of a sudden, finding itself in persecution. And not just persecution. Paul is stoned and left for dead. I hate to keep saying this, but it troubles me when I hear preachers share such a prosperity type of gospel that if you do everything right in your life, nothing will ever go wrong for you. That if you do everything right, you'll see great treasures and you'll see great health. It troubles me. Because it is so against the biblical witness. Paul is doing exactly what God had called him to do. Paul knew he was in the will of God. This is not an Abram that had gone down to Egypt. This is a Paul that had gone on mission as God had directed. Now Paul is stoned. And they have left him far dead. Again, I would say that for me, it would be a moment where I probably would throw myself a pity party. I know myself pretty well. I would probably start asking God all kinds of questions. God, why? God, why have you brought me to this point? God, I thought you told me. And now look at what's happened. I can just hear my own words echoing. 
Paul, dragged out of the city and left for dead. But get this. I want you to see this Paul. Chuck Swindoll again wrote the little biographical series on Paul. He entitled it, A Man of Grit and Grace. Verse 20, you see a man of grit, not giving up. Says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. What did he do? He went into the city. He went into the city. And the next day he departed with the Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. He got back up. He wiped the blood. He got himself together. And he walked right back into that city. And it says that he continued the preaching ministry that God had called him to. He kept telling them about Christ. You see, it didn't matter whether it was in the moments of popularity or whether it was in the moments of persecution. Paul was committed. Paul was faithful. And Paul wanted people to hear that Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. He wanted them to hear that message. In the popular moments, in the persecution, he wanted them to hear, and he kept going. How can a man keep going in such a way? Because a man like Paul had experienced the dramatic conversion of Jesus Christ within, and he had experienced the call of God upon his life. And I say to you, the only way that we keep going through difficulties, through all the moments of life, is to know, to know, to know that we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. He's made a difference within us, and He has called us to make His name known. That is the way that we keep going. That is the way that we get up after being knocked down. That is the way that we wipe the blood and we keep preaching. Through the, through the confident work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. My friends, he's called us to keep going. Too many of us would be willing to give up in much simpler, much easier ways. But that is not what God's called us to do. He has called us to declare his name to the community, to the nation, to the world itself. And to stand confidently knowing that the good news of Jesus Christ transforms individuals, bringing them to true life. I encourage you to be that individual wherever you are, wherever you stand, not to allow the moments of pop popularity to maybe derail your work, not to allow the moments of difficulty 
to stop you from what you are called to do. Be faithful. Despite the circumstances, be faithful to the Lord who has been faithful to you. May God continue to use us. and May he speak to us. May he empower us as we are his people. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you. We do celebrate you again tonight. And God, I pray for tenacity. I pray for endurance. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom that we so desperately need to speak your name. Lord, to speak your salvation. Lord, right now, some of us may be in great moments. Lord, we thank you for that, but just remind us that we're still dependent upon you, that you're still God. Some of us may be at low moments. God, I pray for your encouragement and your stamina to get back up and to share your name with others. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of this church. And Lord, I pray that collectively together, we would shine so brightly in this community and this nation that we would dispel the darkness that is around us. Father, use us, we pray now, in Jesus' name.